Well, you're going to enjoy this morning uh, uh, Dr. Ken Silva. And uh, you've heard from Rick a little bit about him and from me as well. Two days ago, he celebrated his 44th wedding anniversary with his wife, Diane. It's a pretty neat thing. And he's going to encourage and challenge us both at the same time this morning. So let's walk, welcome Ken Silva. Boy, it's good to be here. Have things changed since 1978 when I first started at Big Valley Grace Community Church? It wasn't so big. We had about 120 people when I first started in my first year, and I was the pastor of evangelism and church growth. Had a great, great job title. Didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> but you know, we started training people how to share their faith. And you know the church doubled the first year, it doubled the second year, it doubled the third year, and almost doubled the fourth year, and we were on our way. It was so exciting. We had 28 teams of three going out every week sharing the gospel with people who visited our church. One year we shared the gospel with over 1,000 people. I'm sorry, 1,000 people came to Christ. I don't know how many we shared with. <laughs> it was incredible, the decisions that we saw, the things that were happening. It was so exciting. But I look around, things have changed. Pastor Rick has gotten old. <laughs> I haven't, but he has. I, you know, this last summer we had a, uh, a young marriage class reunion. Our class is called the Agape Marriage. I led that class, my wife and I, and, and uh, right here in the fireside room, the place was packed out. We had the greatest time just remembering, you know, those old stories and how much fun we used to have and so on. But it was so funny because I'm coming up, driving into the parking lot, and uh, uh, for my young marriage Sunday school class reunion, and I park in senior parking. <laughs> it was kind of strange for me. I realized this morning I had to get here early to get senior parking. The spots were gone, I, but I parked as close as I could, feeble as I am, you know. So, anyway, it's great to be here. Things have changed, but one thing that hasn't changed, I've noticed that, is the heart for the lost. This church still has a gray heart for the lost. Your pastor has a great heart for the lost. That's why we're in the series we're in. And uh, that's why we're going to be meeting on the 21st for the Share Your Faith workshop. Because we believe every single person ought to be able to share their faith and the love of Christ with others. And so I was captivated by Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20 when I first became a Christian. Go therefore, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That passage was shared with me as a brand new Christian. It became part of my DNA. I began sharing my faith everywhere I went. I became a physical therapist. I began sharing my faith with my patients. People were coming to Christ, and I realized, Lord, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. And so I went to cemetery and uh, a seminary, and and uh, and I didn't lose my vision. I could have, but I didn't. And the Lord just kept impressing upon me. My life verse is Matthew four nineteen. My favorite verse, probably because it's easy to remember. It's short. <laughs> Jesus said, "Follow me, and I will make you happy." Do you remember what He said there? Follow me, and and I will bless your life. Follow me and I'll give you everything you want. 
follow me and you'll be comfortable. Is that what it says? No, he said, follow me and I will make you what? What? Fishers of men. Are we fishing for men? If we're following him, we ought to be fishing for men, right? I mean, that's what he said. If you'll follow me, I will make you fishers of men. It's very close to, um, to the great commandment. Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all, with all your soul, with all your strength. Isn't that following him? Love the Lord, follow him. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Have we loved our neighbor if we haven't told them about Jesus? We can feed them, we can clothe them, we can build them a house, but if we hadn't told them about Jesus, have we really loved them? Lord, help us to follow you and help us to fish for men. I used to end all of our ser- my sermons over at River Oak Grace when I was still pastor there, 19 years over there at River Oak, and I'd end every sermon with, live for Christ, go tell others about him. Follow Jesus fish for men. Follow and fish. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. So we have a a passion, but we also have a concern. And the concern comes as we look at the church, the, the landscape of the church across North America. Every major religion is growing in North America except Christianity. Did you realize that? Maybe you didn't realize that. $3 trillion was spent in the church last year with no appreciable growth at all. $3 trillion, beautiful buildings, great worship, beautiful settings, but no growth. As a matter of fact, two-thirds of evangelical churches have no witness training for their people whatsoever. We're just not telling our people, training our people, helping them learn how to share their faith. And perhaps that's why 50% of evangelical churches, half of the churches in North America will not see one person added through conversion this year. Can you imagine spending a whole year in your church and not seeing one person come to Christ? What is it about? It's not about us. It's about the mission of God and what he wants to do through us to win a lost world to him. 95% of believers never lead anyone to Jesus. Did you hear that? 95%. Live for live enjoying the benefits of salvation, knowing that God loves them, having their prayers answered, the blessings as they look at their family, all knowing Christ and growing in him and yet not ever leading one person to Christ in their entire lifetime, 95% never leave anyone, lead anyone to Jesus. I don't want you to be known of the 95%. Be a 5%er. Let's be a 5%er. Let's be in that top 5% who do share our faith, who do see people come to Christ. And that's why we're here. That's why I'm going to be sharing the, the Share Your Faith workshop with you on the 21st of Saturday, Saturday the 21st. And I hope every one of you are there. And um, so why is it that more Christians don't share their faith? What keeps us from sharing our faith? took a little video camera around our church uh, uh, one Sunday morning at River Oak Grace, and I got this response to that question. Why is it that 95% of believers never lead anyone to Jesus? See if you can identify with some of these reasons. 95% of believers never lead anyone to Jesus. Uh, why do you think that is? Do you know... Uh, People are... That's hard... I'm not sure. 
have no idea. I have no clue. You know, fear? Because they're fearful. Probably fear. Fear? Making uh, the other people think that they're some crazy Christian. Sometimes they can be scared of like what other people think. Fear of rejection? Because they might be afraid that people will make fun of them. Other people making fun of them. You're weird if you believe in God. Being alone, having to stand alone. You're even weirder if you share them. Because they might not know what to say and how to share it. Not familiar with a way to do it. Maybe they're not going to get it right, or maybe they, they don't have all the answers. Or Fear for one thing, apathy for another. A lack of really trying, as hard as they really could. We get complacent in our faith. They're just so busy, wrapped up in day-to-day -day things that they don't make a point of taking the time to do it. They just don't know how, like how to show their faith. They just don't know how to do it. A little nervous about messing up, you know. Sometimes you feel like you might say the wrong thing. Inadequate information that they wouldn't know how to present it. Because they might not know what to say and how to share it. They just maybe don't feel comfortable on what to say. I'm not knowing what to say to people and uh, to scare them off. Okay, and so what might make it easier for you to share? If I just was just learned how, like just was taught how to share my faith. Great answer. That's the answer I was looking for. <laughs> we paid him for that. Not really. <clears throat> Could you identify with some of those reasons? Huh? You don't know how to start, you don't know what to say, you're afraid you're gonna mess up, you know? And so there's two major reasons that people don't share their faith. One has to do with aptitude. The other one has to do with attitude. Aptitude, what to say, how to start, how to start a conversation, how to know if a person's gonna be open or not, how to know that you're not gonna get punched in the nose, you know, you start sharing Christ with someone, how to, you know, maintain a relationship and yet talk about spiritual things. And we're gonna go over all that on Saturday. Yet it's just exactly what to say, five points, how to, how to actually pray with someone to receive Christ as their savior. It's exciting, so we want you to be there. That's aptitude. And, uh, but I want to talk about attitude today, because I think that is the main reason that believers aren't sharing their faith. Uh, we should have won the world by now. If one person shares with one person, builds them up for six months, and then those two do the same, and then those two do the same, it's something like 19 years and the whole world population has come to Christ. There's no attrition. Just the way it works, multiplying. So we should have won the world years ago. But I think there's a problem. I think the problem is this, it's our attitudes. Oh, we love the Lord. Oh, you know, we love all the benefits of knowing Jesus is our Savior. But we look at non-believers, and we have a bad attitude toward them. And they know it, and they sense it. If you question whether we have bad attitudes toward non-Christians, let me just ask you, what do we commonly recall those people? How do we refer to those people who don't know Jesus? I just used one term, right? Non-Christian, non-churched, unsaved, unchurched, right? Lost, unbeliever, non-believer. They're all negative terms, every single one of them. We don't have one term that we use, commonly speaking, that, that is a positive term for those who don't know Jesus. They're all negative terms. So what's that tell us about our attitude? If that's the way that language has developed, that's the way our vocabulary has developed in the church. Why don't we at least call them pre-Christian? At least that's kind of hopeful. <laughs> they may not like that, you know, but... But how about calling them what Jesus called them? You know what Jesus called them? Friends. Friends. He came to seek and to save the lost. He became the friend of sinners. Friend of sinners? Wow, that is so unusual in the church today. 
God, help us with our attitudes. And so I want us to look at this passage before us, Luke chapter 15 today, and I want to share with you five principles out of this passage that will help us to discover a love for the lost. The first thing I see in this passage is, is the, the context. I mean, you know, you know the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. That's what this passage is about, the red letters, all right? And, you know, I used to read this passage just so I could read all the red letters. I hear Jesus' voice in very soft tones, you know, and uh, kind of bedtime story tones, you know. Um, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the hundred sheep, the ninety-nine in the open pasture, and go after the one which was lost until he finds it, right? Very kind, gentle Savior. But then one day I'm looking at the context, and I go, wow, maybe those red letters shouldn't be read the way I usually read them. Maybe there was something else here that I'm missing, because the passage says, verse 1, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him to listen to him, but by contrast... Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, you can just read that verse and gloss over it, but I want you to think about it. And when I meditate on Scripture, I emphasize the first word, first time, second word, then the third word, like this. I'll just bring you in to my meditation. This man receives sinners and eats with them. This man receives sinners and eats with them. This man receives sinners. This man receives sinners, I tell you. This man receives sinners. And furthermore, this man receives sinners and eats. He eats. He eats with them. With them. With them. Now, they were indignant, weren't they? And so I think Jesus, when he answered them, might have said something more like this, because the passage says, and so he told them this parable. Well, what man among you? If he has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which was lost until he finds it. And when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders and he comes home and he rejoices and he calls together his friends and his neighbors and he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you in the same way there is more joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need for repentance. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one of them, does not light a lamp and search the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls together her friends, doesn't she? She calls together her friends and her family, and she says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my coin which I had lost. I tell you, there is more joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. No, that was the other one. I tell you, there is joy in the presence of God over one sinner who repents. Amen? Amen? And then he tells the parable. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. But it's really not about the son. It wasn't about the coin. And it wasn't about the sheep. Why do we call it the parable of the prodigal son? Because we think this book is all about us. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about his redemptive plan from Genesis to Revelation. It's about the love of God. And so this passage is about the love of God, and I want us to discover a love for the lost from this passage. And so the first thing I see in this passage is this, that lost people are actually drawn to the Lord. Do you believe that? God is drawing people to himself even today. The passage says, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Why were they coming near him? Why did they want to listen to him? 
Look, the religious leaders were avoiding Jesus, and worse, they were plotting against him. But the sinners, the tax collectors, wanted to be near him. They were being drawn to him. People may have been turned off to religion in those days, even as they are today, but they weren't turned off by the person of Jesus. If people can really see the person of Jesus, they're never turned off by him. They may be turned off by us, by our attitudes, by the church in general, by religion, but they're not turned off to Jesus. Oh, if we could just show them Jesus. People are being drawn to Jesus today. I was in Arizona, and we were doing our, our training, and we do a week-long training for pastors. And so pastors came from around the country. I was supposed to be there on a certain day. I'm driving to the airport to Sacramento, and my transmission blows up. I'm on the side of the road. Even a fire starts, grass fire, and I'm putting the fire out. So I missed the first day, right? I caught the plane the next day, and, um, and that plane was late. And so I'm late getting to the, the, the seminar, the training workshop. And, uh, and so I'm thinking, oh, Lord, you know, it's, it's usually it's time that they're going to be going out. They're going to be calling in the community. And you know who trains the pastors how to share their faith with evangelism explosion? Lay people like you. Yeah, they, they, they learn how to share their faith. And then we bring a, a, a group of pastors, and the pastors go out. You know, their knees are knocking. The lay person says, oh, no problem. Come on, I'll show you how. You know? And so the pastors were there. They were ready to go out. And, and I thought, Lord, you know, if I just... You know, if I could just go to my hotel room and rest, then I'll be ready for the seminar tomorrow. And, and I, I hope, Lord, that you got someone to, to cover my team. But I got there and they said, Oh, Ken, you're here. Great, just in time. We got a team for you. And I went, Oh, great. <laughs> so we went out calling. And I was assigned this shopping center. So we get in the, my rental car and I got a pastor next to me and a pastor in the back seat. And we're driving there and I, start, I said, Let's pray, guys. I need prayer. So I'm praying, oh, Lord, you know how difficult it was. You know how tired I am. I'm so glad that I'm here. But, Lord, we just pray. That, I pray, Lord, that you'll make it easy tonight. Lead us to someone uh, who's open, not a hard case, Lord. But, you know, someone you've been working in their life, lead us to the right person. And they're kind of, these pastors are kind of chuckling, you know, because I'm praying with my eyes open, obviously. I'm driving. They think I'm maybe fooling around, but I'm serious. <laughs> and so we get up to the shopping center, and I go, and I could go right or left. I, well, Lord, where do you want us to go? Oh, look, guys. Green light, left. Lord, I guess you want us to go left. And they kind of chuckled. We go left. Now, where do you want us to park, Lord? Oh, look, open spaces on the right. I guess the Lord wants us to go to the right. We'll go and park on the right, get out of the car. I said, I wonder where the Lord wants us to go. Lord, where do you want us to go? And I see a bookstore. I thought, oh, let's go up there. We walk up, step up on the curb, and a man walks out. And I said, hi, we're, uh, we're from the church here in Phoenix. We're trying to determine people's religious thinking and assist anyone who might be looking for a faith, would you mind helping us by answering five brief questions? He goes, well, yeah, okay, sure, no problem. So we asked him some questions, and, and two of the questions we asked, one is, um, do you know for sure if you die today you're going to heaven? He said, no, no, I, I don't. I, I hope so, but I, I'm not sure. I said, well, could I ask you another question? Sure. Suppose something did happen to you. You died today, and you found yourself standing before God, and he said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? He goes, wow, I don't know. I, I guess I just, I try to be a good person. I try my best, Lord. I, I hope you'll let me in. I said, man, have we got some good news to share with you. By the way, my name's Ken. He says, my name's John, John Smith. I went, yeah, right. He said, no, no, seriously. <laughs> Pulls out his driver's license, shows me. I said, oh, that's great. I've been hoping to meet uh, Jane Doe someday too. But. <laughs> 
So anyway, you know, develop a little relationship with them. We share the gospel. You know what I shared with them? The five, same five points I'm going to share with you on the 21st. Just went right on through. Get to the last one, and it's faith. We receive the gift of eternal life by faith. And I said, so John, it's kind of like this. You see this line in the concrete here? Um, Let's let this side represent my own good works. Ken Silva, his own good works. And for years I was trusting this to get me to heaven, but I didn't know for sure. I couldn't know for sure if I was good enough. Then I realized that Jesus had died for my sins. And so I realized, you know, let that side of the line represent Christ and his death on the cross and all he's done for us and the free gift of eternal life. And, and so I realized, I guess, John, what I'm saying is I realized I had to step over the line and I had to trust Christ alone as my savior, not straddle the line, but trust him alone. Does that make sense to you, John? He's looking at me, didn't even break eye contact, and he goes, sure does. <laughs> I said, John, does this mean you want to receive the gift of eternal life? He says, absolutely. I said, well, I can lead us in prayer. We can tell God what you just told me. He says, great, let's do it. We held hands, four men standing out there on the sidewalk, people passing by, praying. John received the gift of eternal life, tears in his eyes. He said, I gotta tell you guys something. So what's that? He says, I came here tonight looking for a book about God. He said, but I went to the religion section and it was so confusing. There's so many different religions. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know what? I should just read a Bible. I, I think I have a Bible at home. I, I'm walking out of the store thinking about where is my Bible? And you come up and tell me what's in the Bible. <laughs> I said, John, that's, be yeah. I said, that's, that's awesome. I said, God loves you. And I told him the story about the car breaking down, the late plane, and, and driving there, and the green light, and, and John, and we got here, and we stepped up on the curb, and if we had been here a minute later, we would have missed you. But God had it in his plan. He was drawing you to himself. Isn't that awesome? And God continues to draw people to himself. We see it all over the world. We see it here in Modesto. If we'll open our eyes, we'll see that there are people who are interested, who want to hear, if we will just share it with them. And you say, well, I don't know. I don't see people who are so open. Have you ever bought a car? How many bought a car? You buy the car, and you start driving around, and go, oh, there's one just like mine. Oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. You never noticed them before, right? Now, all of a sudden, you're noticing them. It's the same thing, folks. <laughs> don't let people tell you that people are not open. They're open. They want to hear. And so lost people are being drawn to the Lord. And the second thing that I notice is that lost people are despised by the religious. They're being drawn by the Lord, loved by him, but they're despised by the religious. The religious wouldn't have gone across the street for, um, for a lost person. They, re they judge them. They avoid them. They ridicule the lost. They condemn the lost. They ignore the lost. But Jesus gave them his attention, his affirmation, his affection. He showed appreciation for them. And the greatest key to winning the lost is attitude. As a matter of fact, when it comes to, to winning the lost, attitude is everything. Would you turn to your neighbor and just tell them, right now, just tell them, attitude is everything. Isn't that true? And so now tell your neighbor, tell your neighbor, so change your attitude. <laughs> Remember, who's in charge of your attitude? We are. God, help us, to help us to change our attitude. Attitude is everything. Even unbelievers know how you feel about them. They knew how Jesus felt about them. That's why they wanted to be around him, right? They want to be around us. 
He didn't come for himself. He came for others to seek and to save the lost. It's not all about us. Have you heard about dog and cat theology? The dog says, my master feeds me, my master pets me, my master gives me a place to sleep. He must be God. (laughs) Right? That's how dogs are. Cats, on the other hand, my master feeds me, my master pets me, my master gives me a place to sleep. I must be God. (laughs) Totally different attitude, and yet it's the same master. Right? Okay. So, we look at this passage, and we recognize that the religious leaders are going, huh, it's all about me, right? Jesus says, no, 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 it's all about the Father. I will be obedient, even to the point of death on the cross, for the sake of the lost. And that's why we're all here. Aren't you grateful? Oh, Lords, we're praying and worshiping this morning. Isn't it? It's just a wonderful worship team. What a great place to worship. We get to express our heart of love and gratitude toward the Lord. Lord, give us that same love for the lost, the lost, the love that you have for unbelievers. And so what's your attitude to the, toward the lost? Let me ask you this. Do they want to be around you? Do they want, I have to ask that question. Do they want to be around me? Or do I make them so uncomfortable? Do I make them feel judged that they don't want to be around me? And how am I going to reach them if they don't want to be around me? If the Christian life is all about becoming more and more like Jesus, if, Christian, if non-Christians, if the unbelievers don't want to be around me, am I like Jesus? Maybe not. Maybe not so much as I hoped or as I thought. So Lord, help me in this area. Help me to develop this love for the lost. Help me to discover what it means to love the lost. And... Um, I pray that they would see the attitude of Jesus in me. And the third thing I notice in this passage is that lost people are important to the Lord. You say, well, how important are they? Well, as I said, the religious wouldn't go across the street for the lost, right? You remember the, the story of the, um, the Good Samaritan, right? The religious guys pass way on the other side, right? Is that the heart of Jesus? No, the Good Samaritan represents the heart of Jesus. But Jesus, he dies for them. Jesus loves the lost. He loved being around them. He loved hanging out with them. I think he genuinely loved it. I don't think he had to fake it at all. I can't imagine Jesus ever being with his disciples and going, hey, get a load of those unbelievers over there. (laughs) You know, or someone using using bad language and him going, or rolling his eyes, you know, how we did, brother, you know. Or going, get a load of those guys. Losers. I don't think so. They wouldn't have wanted to be around him. That's not love. They were important to him. And so what are you and I willing to do to win the lost? Are we willing to put up with a little uncomfortable situation? Are we willing to be in a smoke-filled room? Hey, smoking won't send them to hell. It makes you smell like you've been there, but it won't send you there. Right? That's all. We tend to judge people according to what we read in the Bible because we're Christians and we're familiar with the epistles. The epistles are letters to Christians, right? How to behave, how to, how to apply the, your Christian life. But did you ever notice that the epistles follow the gospels? 
It's not the epistles first and then the gospels second. It's the gospels first and then the epistles. In the gospels, we learn how to build a relationship with God. We learn that he loves us. We learn about the gospel. We receive Christ in the gospels. Then we're told how to live. What we expect people to do is to live the epistles before they're gospeled. You can't be epistled before you're gospeled, right? So let them be gospeled, and then we can epistle them. The Holy Spirit will epistle them. It's not my responsibility, right? I'm not the fruit inspector. I'm not the Holy Spirit, you know, judging people. and so. How, what do you do when people use the Lord's name in vain? How do you respond? Because the way you respond in that little split second, in that little moment, tells them if you love them or if you judge them. Think about it. Now, how many times a day does the Lord hear his name taken in vain? (laughs) In how many languages? In how many? She said, gosh. In how many languages? (laughs) How many languages does he hear it? All over the world, right? And what's his response? Oh, brother. No, what's his response? I love you. You love me? Yeah, I love you. This foul mouth, yes, I love you. This immoral, yes, I love you. How much do you love me? This much? God, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for your great unmatched love. It's unfathomable, the depth of his love for us and yes, for your neighbor. God, help us to develop a love for the lost. They're so important to you. May they be important to us. And I'm afraid they're not always that important to me. I think if I could see the depth of, of need in people, I wouldn't be able to stand it. I, you know, I mean, God knows every heart. He can, he can handle it. He's God. He has an infinite amount of love and capacity. It would just break our hearts to see what's going on in the hearts and the minds of people who are around us every day and the hurts that are there. We wouldn't be able to handle it. I think he's just gracious that where we don't have to handle it. But God, open our minds and our hearts a bit. Open our eyes somewhat, Lord, to be able to see the needs around us. So I have this friend. His name is, we'll just call him Bill. And Bill uh, was lived in Oakdale for a number of years, and we developed a friendship. We know his wife and known her for years, and she married Bill, and Bill's a cowboy, a foul-mouthed cowboy. I mean, he just uses the F-bomb all the time and, and you know, and GD this and all that, you know, and, and but he's the greatest guy. I love the guy. <laughs> we go fishing together, you know, we've gone on, on uh, guided trips together, we went to Alaska together, and, and I love, love this guy, Bill. Well, she throws these parties for his birthdays, you know, and, uh, and um, I, it was one of his parties, and, and Bill says, hey, Ken, come on over here, come on over here, I want you to, want you to meet my, my attorney. Hey, Mike, this is Ken, this is my pastor, Ken. I go, I'm your pastor? Bill, you've never been to my church. <laughs> and he turns to Mike, he says, well, he's working on me. Mike says, well, I'm glad someone is, <laughs> you know. It's that kind of relationship. He he's, comes in from roping one day, and my wife's in the kitchen with, with his wife, and he plops up on the counter. He says, hey, so tell me, tell me uh, how your husband became, uh, from a physical therapist, became a preacher. How, how'd that happen? And she tells my story. She loves telling my testimony. But anyway, she tells my testimony. And, uh, and he goes, well, H-E double hockey sticks. I must be, I, maybe I'm a Christian, don't know it. <laughs> and his wife goes, no, Bill, you're not, Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> Not yet, but he's getting closer. He's getting closer. Now, if I'd roll my eyes and blow air every time you use a foul word, do you think we'd have a relationship? No, but we love hanging out. And he's getting to the point. I've given him some things to read, and we're going to find out his response. So be, pray for Bill, we'll call him. You see, we, we can't copy. We can't love people in the flesh. You know what it is? It's allowing God to love people through us. When I was planting River Oak Grace Community Church, we, you know, we had a kind of a low salary. We wanted to keep our kids in Christian school, and the school was helping us somewhat, but, but you know, we had other financial needs. And so I'm praying, Lord, show me what I can do to supplement our income. And on, on the other side, I'm praying, Lord, show me how I can reach every new person who moves into, into Oakdale, how I can just knock on their door and invite them to our church, how we can develop a team to do that. God gave me an idea. It was called the Welcome Service of Oakdale. I went to some business people, and I said, hey, look, I'm going to be knocking on doors and inviting new residents uh, to our church. I could just as well be inviting them to your business as well. Would that be worth, worth something to you? He said, yeah. How about a dollar, dollar fifty? And so every time I knocked on the door, I had several, many businesses represented in my folder, and I was getting paid. I get $80, $85 every time I knocked on the door and invited someone to my church. What a deal that was, you know? And so this was good. So one day, I'm uh, about ready to leave the, ch leave the church office and i um, going to go watch the football game with my sons. And uh, it's getting close, and I thought, well, you know, I maybe I have time to make one stop. And so I stopped, and I knocked on the door and said, hi, uh, you know, I'm representing the welcome service of Oakdale, and we have some, some flyers here in this folder. Open the folder. And two meals for the price of one at Cindy's Restaurant, you know. Um, you know, a free bag of sugar at the... At the uh, at the grocery store and free haircut for their first visit, that sort of thing. And by the way, if you don't, this flyer here is very important because if you don't already have a local church home, I'd love to invite you to River Oak Grace Community Church. In fact, it's the greatest church in the world. <laughs> and they've got the nicest pastor. I don't know, I'm the pastor. <laughs> so this guy goes, oh, you're a pastor? Hey, I'm a Christian, but my husband's not, but he's been asking some great questions. Would you come in and talk with him? I went, oh man. Yeah, yeah, I guess I could do that. And I'm thinking, you see, how can I, now I want to get the kickoff. You know, I don't want to miss the kickoff. So I'm sitting there, and he starts asking some great questions. And I'm thinking about how can I get out of this. In fact, I'll bring two of my disciples here tomorrow night and show them how to, how to share the gospel. This guy really is open. He's really interested. This is awesome. So I'm thinking about how I can get out of this, how I can change this up, get out of this, and come back tomorrow, set an appointment. And I hear this voice. Now, no one else in the room heard the voice, and, uh, but I did kind of inside, but it seemed like it was outside, but it was, you know what I'm saying? And you know what he said? This guy could die tomorrow. <sighs> what would you do? <laughs> well, obviously, I didn't go watch the football game. So I began to share Christ with Cliff, is his name. And as I began to share with him, I saw tears come to his eyes. Guess what happened to my eyes? Tears, right? And his heart started to break. Guess what happened to my heart? started to break. Cliff gave his heart to Jesus. And uh, I remember kneeling around that coffee table holding hands, he and his wife, and, and he's receiving Christ as his Savior, and she's crying, and I'm crying, and, he, and he's crying, and it was a mess, and it was beautiful. <laughs> right? And so, man, he thanked me. I said, Cliff, could I come back tomorrow night and, and uh, uh, introduce you to a couple of my friends? He said, yeah, please, do that. So I came back the next night, knocked on the door. Cliff, how'd your day go? He says, weird. That's not what I expected to hear. <laughs> Weird? What do you mean? He says, well, I'm driving to work, you know. I'm driving down the highway, and I look in front of me, and there's, all of a sudden there's a truck stopped in the lane, two-lane highway. 
I'm going 60 miles an hour, and I realize, oh, man, I start to turn to the left, I realize, no, there's too much traffic coming my way, and, and so I cranked it to the right, just missed the back end of the truck, went into the ditch, came back up on the highway, spun around, stopped, my car stopped right in front of the truck, and he said, the weird thing is, I didn't even have control of the wheel. I remembered the voice, this guy could die tomorrow. Isn't that awesome? You know, I learned two things. Number one is there's an unseen world we know, know not of, right? And there are things happening. The other thing is, well, three things. The love of God to, to put me in that situation that used me. But I recognize the third, the most important thing I want you to catch here is this, that it wasn't my love. I wasn't sharing Christ with Cliff because I loved Cliff. I didn't know Cliff until I started sharing with him. And then all of a sudden, the love of God started reaching him through me. What a privilege. What a blessing. And I've recognized over the years that every time I share Christ with someone, I'm experiencing God. I'm experiencing the love of God flowing out of me to them. What a joy that is. That's discovering the love of God. Step out in faith. Let him use you. And so, lost people are important to the Lord. Fourthly, I notice that lost people are pursued by the Lord. They're avoided by the religious, no doubt, but they're pursued by the Lord. And this pursuit is seen in the commitment of the shepherd. He has 99 sheep, but he leaves the 99. He's so committed that he goes after the one until he finds it. He searches. He scours the hillsides and down in the ravines, and he finds that sheep. That's commitment. How committed are we? Are we willing to sacrifice our comforts? Are we willing to leave the pasture, the green pastures, and go after the one who is lost? Jesus left heaven for us. Are we willing to give up a Saturday, a Saturday, and come and be trained? Oh, Lord, help us. Let God speak to you. Let him mold you. Let him motivate you and to learn to share the gospel message. And then this fact that lost or pursued by the Lord is seen in the perseverance of the woman. She wouldn't give up. That coin was important to her. She had nine others, but still the one coin is important. And so she swept the house. She lit a lamp. She dug around until she found it. She kept going. How long are we willing to associate How long are we willing to pray? How long are we willing to suffer? How long are we willing to love someone who's unlovable for the gospel? What are our limits? Jesus had no limits. He still has no limits. And Lord, help us to have your heart for the lost. And then this pursuit of the lost is seen in the compassion of the Father. You know the story. The son said, Father, give me my share of, my, of the inheritance, and uh, he went off to a, far, to a distant land, the Bible says. And when the Bible says distant land, it means like, you know, you're never going to see this guy again. It's so far, you have no idea where he is. You know, I mean, we didn't have email, you know, we didn't have texting, there's no communication, right? He's gone to them. But did the father said, okay, fine, you're dead to me. No, he didn't, Right? I think he probably, every night, as he went to the dinner table, put his hand on that empty chair where his son grew up, eating at the family table, and he probably said a prayer, said a prayer, Lord, watch over our son, bring him back, Lord. Take care of our boy. In the morning, he'd wake up and go outside, and he'd look up that far hill where he last saw his son, silhouette, just disappear over that far hill, that path, and, and he'd say a prayer, oh, Lord, 
wash his face, dry his face, you know, and say, oh, Lord, bring our son back. One day he's out in the field, and he's probably cutting wheat. This way I see it. He's cutting wheat, and out of the corner of his eye, he sees him on that path, that same path. He sees the silhouette of his son, but now his head is down. His shoulders are drooped. He's dragging his feet. Because remember, the passage says that his son thought, if I just go to my father, my father's servants are, are eating better than I am. Father, just make me one of your hired men, and, and, uh, and that'll be good enough for me. I've sinned in the sight of God and, and in your sight. And he didn't know his father very well. Because the passage says that while his, he was still a long ways off, his father saw him. And it says that he ran to him. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him on the neck. He called the servants. He said, bring, out, bring uh, the robe, the ring, the sandals. This son of mine was lost, but he's been found again. Kill the fatted calf. We must celebrate. My son has returned. That's the love of God. How well do we know our father? Sometimes we mope around thinking that, you know, he's mad at me. He's mad at me again. I blew it again. He's mad at me. God loves us so much, right? And he loves the lost so much. And so, so the compassion of the father. And what's the, what's, the, what's the brother say? Hey, what about me? I never squandered your inheritance. I always did everything you told me to do. You know, I... I it, and you never even killed a, a kid for me. You never killed a goat for me. And you're giving him the fatted calf. He's going, me, ow, me, ow, meow, meow. Right? <laughs> it's all about him. Who do you identify with in this passage? The prodigal? The brother? We're supposed to identify with the Father because it's about the Father. It's about the Father's love. Oh, God, give us your love for the lost. The prodigal represents the lost, right? That which was lost. And the, four, the fifth thing that I want you to see in this passage is that found people are a delight to the Lord. They're a delight to the Lord. Everyone rejoiced when that which was, found, which was lost had been found. Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. Rejoice with me, for I found the coin which I had lost. Rejoice. Let's celebrate for this son who is lost has been found. Kill the fatted calf. You see, nothing brings greater joy to the body of Christ than, than the testimonies of those who've been saved. And we would have just a great time right here just hearing your testimonies, what God has done to, to deliver you, right? To save you. I had uh, this friend, and um, well, he wasn't a friend at the time. He was a neighbor, and and my wife had led his wife to the Lord, and they were having a little Bible study, and they kept saying, you know, you got to go over and talk with Gary. And I said, I know, I know, but every time I, I say hi to him, you know, I, I come home and get out of the car, and I wave like this, and he waves like this. <laughs> you know? I mean, there's body language, right? You, you, know that, you know what that means, you know, talk to the hand, not to me. <laughs> so... You know, it was, just, it was hard, and he was this burly guy always working on cars, you know, with the cigar and the beer can there, you know, on the front lawn and that sort of thing, and, and you know, I'm this little seminary student. This is way back. This is an old story, but I was just a little seminary student with my little tie and my briefcase and getting out of my little Volkswagen. <laughs> you know? So anyway, so I thought, okay, one day he's working on a car. He's working on a 42 Ford. It's beautiful. He's restoring the whole thing. You know, he's got this chromed-out engine he's trying to put in the engine compartment there. And it's not fitting. He's throwing wrenches and he's swearing and, and all this, using the Lord's name in vain. I'm just kind of standing there, you know. And I knew I had to say something because I could get killed by one of those wrenches if I didn't say something, right? And so, but 
I really didn't plan it out well. It just started coming out of my mouth. I said, well, Gary, when things don't go well for me, I usually just pray about it. <laughs> I can't believe what I just said. You know, he looks at me and goes, well? I said, you want to pray for your engine? He says, I've tried everything else. Couldn't hurt. <laughs> said, well, okay. So I laid a hand on the engine and went, heal, heal. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> That would have been good, though. Um, no, I put my hand on his shoulder, you know, and I hand on the engine. I said, well, Lord, help Gary. Help him with his patience. Lord, this is supposed to fit. It's all blueprinted. It's supposed to fit, and he's just having a hard time. I, I pray that you just give him wisdom, that this, this engine will just go down on these mounts. I said, amen. He looked at me, and I looked at him. He put a hand on the engine and released the, the hydraulic lift there, and the engine goes down, and we hear this clunk, clunk. And he looks at me like he grabbed the flashlight, went under it, took, came back up, and he goes, his eyes were as big as hubcaps. He goes, whoa! <laughs> and I said, no problem. Got anything else you want me to pray about? <laughs> world peace, world hunger, something easy? <laughs> no, I was just as, as excited as he was, man. We're like, wow, that's fantastic. I said, God answers prayer, Gary. I see it all the time. This is so cool. I said, Gary, have you ever read the Bible? He said, no, no, I have a Catholic background. Oh, so do I. And we had that in common, so we got to start talking about spiritual things. And by the end of the conversation, he was willing to meet with me on a weekly basis to start reading the Bible. We just started reading the Gospel of John, 5.30 a.m. once a week. And so after a few weeks, he gives his heart to Jesus. We start a Bible study in their home now with Nancy, his wife, and him. And, and, and then she's, she brings her brother and sister in law and her sister and brother in law, and they receive Christ as their Savior. And then a couple weeks later, their parents are going to come and they raise their kids Mormon. And I'm going, Oh no. And so I'm studying about how to, how to witness to Mormons, you know, and all this sort of thing. And, and I didn't have to use it because they came in the house and said, There's been such a change in our kids' lives. Tell them, tell us what you told them. And you know what I told them? Five points that I'm going to share with you on Saturday. <laughs> Went through, they prayed to receive Christ. We had a Bible study of all brand new Christians. Because God loves to show up. He loves to draw people to himself. I was married 44 years ago. I'm standing up in front of, a, of a, a little chapel in San Bernardino, California. And all of a sudden, the music changed. And the bridal march started. And the door, that door has opened up. And here comes this beautiful bride on the arm of my, my future father-in-law. And they walk down the aisle. And I wasn't married yet. And they walk down the aisle and they stand up there and who gives this woman to be married to this man, her mother and I do, and I still wasn't married. And then the pastor starts saying a few things and I still wasn't married. Uh, we exchange rings. I'm still not married. He says, if so, you may answer, I do. I do. I was married forever. <laughs> it changed my life, right? Just saying I do. God is dating us. He was dating me since I was a little kid. I remember things happening in my life that I knew it was God, but I didn't know much about him yet. I thought I just had to please him. I thought I had to work hard and please him, but no, it was his dating me. Beautiful sunset, that's God dating you, right? Birth of a child, oh, God, thank you for showing me how much you love me, right? All these things. And he's drawing people to himself all over Modesto, and we just need to help put the pieces together so they can see how much he loves him, them and what he's done for them. We need to share the gospel with them and bring them to the point of saying, I do. And so discovering a love for the lost is all about getting our attitudes out of the way 
and loving, letting God love people through us. It's all about attitude. It's not me. It's God. It's His desire. He's drawing them to Himself through, and He'll do it through our love, our acceptance, our compassion, our mercy. Where are they going to see His mercy, His compassion if they don't see it in us? They need to see it in us. And so it comes back to our mission, doesn't it? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow and fish. Is He calling you? If He's calling you, if He's drawing you to Himself, perhaps today is the day for you to say, I do. And change your life for all of eternity. There will be an opportunity for you to, to meet with someone after the service and pray with them and to receive the gift of eternal life. It will change your life forever. And then, if He's calling you as a, as a follower, if He's already called you, He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, when He said, follow me, I think he meant closely. And by the way, it's a promise. He says, if you'll follow me, I will make you fishers of men. It's a promise. Follow me is the command. I will make you fishers of men is a promise. But I think when he said follow me, he meant closely. I don't think he's meant from a distance. Oh, yeah, Jesus, I think I can still see you. Yeah, I'll catch up. No. I think that's how we live our lives. And we try to get a little bit closer on Sunday, but then we go, oh, okay, yeah, I'm still following you. Yeah, no, no don't worry about it. He, he turns around and looks. No, oh, no, we're... Have you ever tried to follow someone on the freeway? Uh, Los Angeles, all right? You're on the freeway, and if you have six inches between you and the car in front of you, you get a semi and two other trucks between you and the car in front of you, right? You've got to follow closely. So when Jesus said, follow me, he meant follow closely. And if you are following him closely, you are fishing for men. If you're not fishing for men, oh, God, help us to follow you more closely. Because as we follow closely, we gain his heart, right? His heart becomes our heart. And he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Now let me ask you something in the way of a challenge here. How many of you believe that if a Christian sincerely prayed and said, God, if it takes me a whole year, help me to learn to share my faith. Lead me to someone who's open and give me one soul. A year, you know, one year, uh, one person one soul. How many believe that if Christians sincerely prayed that, God would answer that prayer? Hmm. How come God hasn't answered that prayer? Maybe it's because we haven't prayed it. Right? And if God, if everyone in this church prayed that prayer, and God answered that prayer, just one person this year, how big is the church next year? Double. Do you know what they do with churches that double in a year? I don't either, because I haven't seen it. Well, we did. Years ago, we did. And you know what it is? It, I mean, that just doesn't happen. That's unheard of. But it should be common. We should all be able to lead someone to the Lord in one year. We just ask the Lord to help us. So, aptitude and attitude. We've talked about attitude to delay. Lord, continue to change our attitude. If you come on Saturday the 21st, we'll help you with aptitude. We'll show you exactly what to say. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you for your compassion and your mercy and your grace and the forgiveness that we receive in you. And Lord, forgive us for the attitudes that we sometimes carry. And God, I pray that you'll continue to show us that we might discover this love for the lost, that we might discover your love for the lost, that we might experience your love flowing through us. Help us to get out of the way, Lord, and to let you love people. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. 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 Amen.